I am now going to bring on uh, a returner to the show. I believe this is her third time on the show, um, which is absolutely fantastic. It means that, um, first of all, I didn't tick her off enough so that she still <laughs> takes my uh, messages on Discord and is willing to come on the show as well. Uh, but uh, she is crimson clad. What's going on, Crim? I'm good. Man, Scott, uh, a preach into the choir and a fount of knowledge. Good man. I'm also here in Canada. So when I hear somebody kind of being like, please don't use these services, just want to cheer. <laughs> I want to cheer. <laughs> yeah. And, and shout out to you for uh, for helping me with uh, getting the airdrop and, and all that stuff sorted. <laughs> all right. So uh, we have to talk about, you, you mentioned the word airdrop, all right? So uh, we're talking... Crypto 101, all right, uh, for any of the normies out there that are not hip to the lingo, um, uh, what exactly is an airdrop? I, I can tackle this if you want. Um, and I'm going to use some sort of jaded language here because uh, continuing in the vein of it is a bull market and everything is making money and you feel like a genius and you're amazing. Airdrops kind of play into that mentality that people get. Um, but the idea is, is if you have a wallet or you're holding an asset already, some other project or token will actually come along and just rain some money on you in the hopes of getting your interest. Because if they give you a little bit, that first little bit is free. And then in theory, you're going to see this is a great project. I'm going to I'm going to ape in. I'm going to spend some more money. But the way that this works, if you're coming from like a normie background or you're not, why would somebody give me something for free? Because as Scott and everybody else knows, if it's too good to be true, it is, um, is something like a loss leader. So when you think about um, a retail store, a, a bricks and mortar store, how do they get you in the door? Sometimes they'll sell things at a loss or like a great example, which is kind of dumb, but a great example is Ikea. If you ever go to Ikea, they'll sell you breakfast for a buck. And it's maybe not the best breakfast, but you know, you'll get some sausage and some eggs and a coffee and you'll go through and you're like, this is a dollar. That's insane. Yeah. It's a loss leader. They're taking a loss on that because you came to Ikea to get your dollar breakfast and you had to walk through the hellish maze <laughs> of, you know, Nine M miles, <laughs> yes, M MDF and, and Gravlax and, and strangely named geometric shaped gugas. And they'll get you. You'll buy something because you're there. They, you know, butts in seats. Well, that's hard to do in the crypto world because we don't have seats. The, the metaphorical butts are just floating around thinking that everything they do farts out money. So this is problematic. How do you get, how do you get us buttheads interested, right? And an airdrop is the perfect way to do it. Now, I'm not slamming on airdrops because if you're intelligent in the way that you uh, handle them when you do get them, they can be a great way to bolster your funds or to find projects you're interested in. Yeah. Um, but the big thing is just always keeping in your mind, these guys aren't known. They need me. They want my attention. So what is it that I can bring to them that's so valuable? And is that a vector for attack, which sounds terrible, but in the crypto space and right now, because people are excited and money is flowing, you kind of in the back of your head as a normie, just remember everybody wants that money to flow from you to them. <laughs> and this is what we try and move away from in today's world where we have the structures of the banks and things like that. We trade fees and we trade centralization for someone to protect us. 
in crypto, you're kind of taking those burdens onto yourself. You don't want the uh, fees and you don't want the centralization, mm -hmm. but it does mean that you're also taking on some of the burden to be a little more intelligent with how you're using your funds and how you're, you know, uh, protecting your data and things like that. So airdrops are basically, if you're holding a wallet or a token, somebody will come along and give you more tokens in the hopes of getting your attention. I, I can remember, uh, let's see, it must have been like two, three weeks ago. Um, I, on Hive, I just had like, uh, and what's funny is I didn't even know it until there was actually like a, a, a post on Hive that like tagged me in it. And it was just a list of a ton of people that were like, yep. you know, airdropped or gifted this crypto. Uh, and I got on Discord, I'm like, what the F is this? Like, I, I didn't buy anything. Like, what the hell's going on, right? Um, and yeah, I had to learn pretty quick that that was like, you know, the the little kind of like, you know, nugget to, to get people to at least ask the question, like, you know, what's going on here, you know? Um, and it totally worked. Yeah. So uh, are, are you a main benefactor of airdrops there, Scott? <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I recently used Earnify. Like, I'm not trying to plug them or anything, but it lets you just plug in your Ethereum address and it'll tell you if you've got unclaimed airdrops. Mm. I got like $3,000 from that and I was like, sold, you know? Dude. Whoa. <laughs> Hold yeah, because yeah. there was I'm a Googling. bunch of airdrops. Yeah, there was a bunch of airdrops that I just had no idea existed. Or, you know, I traded on like one inch, like one time, completely forgot about it, found out that they had massive airdrop. And then uh, I was able to just take advantage of all that. So it's pretty awesome. Wow. No, I, that's uh, that's some serious change there. It's, that's pretty nice. Yeah. 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 And, and the Uniswap airdrop, too, like way back when was also a big one. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, uh, all right, so now that we cleared that up, um, I didn't give Krim a chance to uh, kind of introduce herself, at least give everyone the 411 on how to connect with her. So uh, if anyone wants to go uh, connect with you or find your content, Krim, where can they go? Um, you can find me pretty much anywhere. I'm I'm almost the only crimson clad out there. So if you Google it, you'll probably get me. But um, you'll find me on Twitter at she's crimson clad and crimson clad everywhere else. Uh, wherever you consume streaming content, I'm crimson clad, and you'll find me because this mug is just right in your face. So <laughs> I, and um, so one of my favorite things is that everyone wears kind of like multiple hats, right? Um, mm. And so. You, Krim, are basically a DJ, I guess you would call yourself. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've taken to calling myself a host, but it's quite funny, and, and we've gone over it on your show before, and it often comes up, is I'm one of those people who can say, I didn't start in crypto. I mean, I've always been a bit of a nerd, but I found crypto as a creator, as a, um, yeah, like a DJ or a streamer or a radio host. And the more that I started really digging into the things that mattered to me as a radio host, as a photographer, as, you know, that sort of thing, the more I realized, well, content, value, monetization, these all go hand in hand with, you know, crypto and blockchain. And then I got into the blockchain part of it and the nerdy side of me was like, let's run servers, let's, and that got really exciting. So, you know, now I've kind of in this weird mishmash where some nights I play heavy metal and scream at you. And then other days like this, you know, we're talking a little bit more about sort of the implications that crypto has for everybody and ways that it's changing both our sort of financial sphere 
but also the way that we think of transacting value. And value is this term that doesn't have to mean money anymore. Mm. Um, And it's such an important thing to think about because what's valuable in your life as a normie, that term, you know, might be your family. It might be your connections on a forum that you really enjoy. It might be your hobbies. It might be, you know, your favorite YouTuber that's valuable to you. Every time Scott puts out a new video, every time Matt puts out a new video, that's value. I want to engage or consume that. Mm. And crypto and blockchain specifically now are starting to give us some really important tools to have more control in a time where a lot of our control is being eroded. So Mm. it's this weird sort of mishmash of all these things that come together and they're really important. And uh, this whole crypto is for shadowy super coders bullshit um, (laughs) is language that is specifically designed to scare you away from thinking about these, uh, these problems, these challenges and these opportunities for yourself. So God damn it. You don't have to be a shadowy super coder, but you could become one. And that's pretty cool too. That's a hell of a, a hell of a name, you know? So, so I promised Scott and yes, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people out there that have that image of people that are, you know, messing around in, on the blockchain, um, that are these, you know, super hackers and like, you know, hoodie wearing, you know, uh, uh, the, the matrix playing on a monitor mm-hmm. in the background. Right. Um, so uh, I, I promised God I wouldn't get too political, but I think some of that comes from the way that uh, crypto and specifically Bitcoin came onto a lot of people's radar was the Silk Road and, and Ross Albring. And so that was definitely something where um, Again, we won't necessarily get into it. I think most of the people who watch me know where I stand as far as that goes. But um, that's just that's definitely something where the you know the the mainstream folks right um, yep. use that as a narrative to paint it all. And Absolutely. when when truthfully, it was that was like one little corner of you know the the blockchain and the Bitcoin world at the time. And it's definitely evolved since then. And so there's just something for everyone. Um, I, I love the fact that you come at it from, from a very like artistic point of view, because again, that helps shatter that stereotype of like, oh, well, you know, you have to be a super coder in order to like get on and, um, you know, which I mean, some people would argue Back in the day to get in the hive, you kind of, oh, had, yeah. you, you almost <laughs> didn't have to be a, a coder. <laughs> to get, to get well, <laughs> and you know, all of these sort of starting, even, you know, like, however you may feel about it, things like Binance chain or whatever, you know, all of these contracts that weren't, you know, they didn't have a UI for it or same with ether, you know, tokens that you wanted to move around. They didn't have a, a user interface. Like you did, you had to start getting into sort of the command line and all of a sudden, you know, you're copying and pasting something, hoping to God, you're not going to get, you know, it's everything stolen from you. But at the same time, you feel like a badass because yeah. you're like, yeah, I'm coding. And it's, you know, uh, there's <laughs> levels to it. But the whole thing that we're seeing now and, and that idea of hyper Bitcoinization, because, you know, Bitcoin kind of um, uh, controls the lexicon that we're slowly building out language wise. But, you know, the idea that we are approaching a more critical mass on adoption of crypto comes from it's getting easier. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem with that again is you're starting to see centralized services as scott was saying um you know custodial options which are 
a little bit antithetical to what crypto is all about. But for somebody who's trying to make that first step, um, the best thing you can do is be like, cool, you tried to get into crypto. Here's why the route that you've taken, you don't want to necessarily stay on it. Here's how we're going to help you, you know, becoming a little bit more self-reliant, self-sovereign. Because yeah. that's one thing that I see a lot of is is just shame in this space is now it's this new space. It's this cool space. More and more normies are getting attracted to the less uh, unsavory visions that are being painted of the crypto space. But they get here and it's hard and it's a little bit scary. And people who have been here through especially one or more bull runs already are like, you guys are the worst. Get off these, you know, shit coins. Don't go to these services. And you know, it happens everywhere. We're very tribal species, but um, certainly as services kind of evolve and, and more people who are newer to the space come in and find problems, mm. many of them are joining sort of projects and tackling those same project uh, problems. So it's like every bull run, we get a little more approachable. We get a little more uh, savvy for what people yep. need. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and it gets a little stickier too, right? Like, yep. um, absolutely. You, you know, uh, again, it, it goes back to people that like just bought a couple hundred bucks of Bitcoin because they saw the price go up. Um, there's like an introduction point where you do kind of interact a little bit. And as the product gets better or as the user experience gets better, um, for lack of uh, a better word, like you end up staying for longer or using it for more things, which is ultimately, you know, what the goal is. So um, what what would you say is a good place? What's a good entry point for someone to get that first, uh, you know, I, I thought I thought for a moment when you were talking about airdrops that you were talking about um, like, you know, dealing crack. But um. it, I mean, in some ways it is that whole like your first check out this new token, your first yeah. hits free. Like, now come over here in the corner. I'm going to slip that into your pocket. But it's 100% I mean, pure. Yeah, it's all it's all traceable, which is probably not what you want. Um, yeah. But, you know, I do, and and you know, uh, I am really involved in Hive, uh, and actually, I come from Vancouver, BC, which is an incredibly, incredibly Ethereum-centric area of Canada. Mm. Um, so I actually spent more time in ETH than I did in Bitcoin at first. I had Bitcoin, but I wasn't quite as knowledgeable about the community and whatnot. But uh, I always try and start people in Bitcoin, and I know that kind of sounds a little maximalist or whatever, but. People have the easiest time understanding that I have a dollar that the government gave me and all of a sudden this dollar isn't worth that much and that's upsetting to me. Yeah. So to be able to kind of say, well, here's Bitcoin and here's how that dollar kind of fares as time goes on, like look at them side by side and the understanding becomes clear really quickly. And of course, because Bitcoin's been around for so long now, uh, so long and not long enough, there are so many incredible resources. Um, and that's something that kind of always makes it a little bit easier. Like I buy copies of the Bitcoin standard like nobody's business because again, I'm like a crazy artist lady that took photos of travel for a while. And so to now kind of be in a place where I can talk with people about sort of the finer points of economic theory or really start dissecting, you know, my place in the fiat banking system and, and how I want to move out of that or, or where it matters to me to try and have an influence and where I want to go my own way and kind of uh, take control. That's wild to me. And so, you know, things, there's these books and 
websites and podcasters that are out there. And it's, it's very easy to kind of say, hey, there's an incredible wealth of knowledge. I'm going to show you some. Let me know what you think. Ask some questions and let's get started. Um, so, I mean, I personally do always start people at Bitcoin, but I do think solutions like Hive and even like some of the um, emerging token systems on ETH, they're tied to things or they're tied to communities. They're tied to ideas and tool sets. Yeah. And for people who don't care about the money aspect, which believe it or not, there are some who are like, ah, well, whatever, the banks will be fine. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Then you can start saying, okay, well, maybe you'd be interested. You use Reddit all the time right now, but you're mad about not earning anything. Well, have you ever thought about a tokenized community or a tokenized, you know, message board? And yeah. then you can still go down that path with them. So there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah, most definitely. So um, that that's I, I agree because it's the one that has the the most travel in terms of people being, you know, I mean it's. It's not ubiquitous yet, but it's it's close. Like, I mean, most people, even grandmas and grandpas, know about Bitcoin, and they're asking about whether or not they should buy some. It right? is true. Uh, yeah, so it's I, I I would say that is a good entry point. Um, I think I mentioned gaming earlier, and I wanted to ask both of you because yeah. you're both in the, the Hive uh, ecosphere. Um, have you been keeping tabs on this like land rush that's happening in Splinterlands? It is like th there is this like epic bull market in what ver I, I don't even play the game so but it's yep. essentially what virtual property yeah essentially and you know i don't want to speak for the splinterlands team because i have i have some cards i've never played personally just because i don't have time that's that whole wearing too many hats thing yeah. um is i have a ton of games that i'm like ooh, i want to never gotten around to it it's yeah. uh, not just splinterlands it's a lot of things but um you know, this is something that we're seeing a lot of, and it's awesome that it's happening in the Hive ecosystem because Splinterlands is sort of a, a combination of this idea of the metaverse and, you know, a, a physical land plot tied to a, you know, giant fantasy game. But this is something that we've seen over and over in our sort of technological history. Every time we create a space for ourselves to occupy in sort of a digital way, it goes gangbusters. I mean, people are still playing Second Life and making, you know, real, mo real money in Second Life. Oh, yeah. The Sims are, it, it, I don't know what it is. We're so obsessed with ourselves that we want to live in the real world and in the fake world too. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's actually pretty awesome that you have these sort of places to explore. But so you're seeing it now in Splinterlands. I'm going to own a whole land. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to build up an entire story and identity and gaming around it and battling from it. And then also you've got things like the metaverse, which is, you know, kind of what is referred to on the Ethereum blockchain, which is a number of VR and AR like virtual reality spaces that are becoming incredibly popular with artists, especially. Um, and, and it's just a continuation of this habit that we've always had. So, these are things that you're right. I didn't even mention that as a starting point for some people. But for if you're not into, you know, posting and you're not into money, then there's games. And that's really cool, too, because traditionally gaming, you know, um, we've gone through a number of challenges with gaming as well, with digital rights management. And, you know, do you want to buy a game secondhand? Well, you can't anymore because everything's moved to either streaming or download games. 
what if the uh, company takes the servers offline? You've paid for content and it's gone. Or, mm. you know, I have physical cards and my dog ate all of them. Tough titties, all my Pokemon are gone. So, you know, now we're moving to a space where those cards exist on the blockchain and it doesn't matter where I go in the world, they follow me and I am the only one that can control them. It's, uh, it's kind of the natural progression of how gaming becomes more tied to us as what we want our persona to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Were, were you a Second Life guy, Scott? Did you ever play Second Life? Uh, no, uh, but I, I was a fan of like The Sims and stuff. Um, speaking, speaking on what you were just saying, though, I think, yeah, like, wow, for example, like World of Warcraft, people yep. were buying and selling things illegitimately through PayPal or, or however they were doing it. <clears throat> They've been doing this for so long, but blockchain would enable them to do that securely. And then, you know, the companies obviously don't want these secondary markets, but if they attach some fee or something, then it could be good for everyone. And then they could facilitate that. And then we could have all these secondary markets and all this amazing stuff that we don't have now. Um, and I think that is uh, very soon to come. A lot of what I'm seeing now is like blockchain based uh, games. What I really want to see is other game companies start to integrate blockchain into their games. Mm. Uh, and that's when I think it'll really take off. So I, I, I'm going to out myself as an Uber nerd here. Um, oh, so I was going I, to. So I want to see what you say first before I say mine. I, I played the predecessor to WoW, which was EverQuest. Um, I was going to say it. Uh, otherwise, I also no. <laughs> engaged in Evercrack. Evercrack, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there was literally, I forget, um, I forget the TV program. It was like a, a Dateline or, or like one of these, like kind of like uh, you know, nighttime, you know, segmented news programs, and they do exposés on thing, and they essentially put out a hit on this game because literally people would sit there and just play for like five days straight without like sleeping or anything like that. Um, it was the clunkiest. UI, it was cheesy geometric graphics. Um, but to your point, Scott, there was a incredible secondary market where people mm. were selling the the actual currency in the game. Yep. They would meet you up in game. And so you would sell it like you'd buy it on eBay and then they would meet you up in game. So, but to your point earlier, you had to like take it on faith that you just sent this person like 50 or 100 bucks and that they were actually going to show up with, you know, whatever mm -hmm. digital asset that mm -hmm. you purchased. Um, but yeah, like the the concept that uh, even just the the whatever the the character or the game environment that you spent so much time creating and like putting time into um, the fact that they can still just kind of like flip the switch and turn it off and you don't have it anymore or they can completely restrict where you go with it, it has been one of the biggest failings of those types of like immersive experience games and yeah like I, I don't I might get divorced if EverQuest went on to like the blockchain and then like I could like revive my own accounts like I, I should hope that it wouldn't but um, so uh, were you of that generation Krim I know you're a little bit younger than I was but uh, oh yeah yeah uh, yeah ever EverQuest and I we 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 had to break up or things would have probably gotten far too serious it would have gotten ugly <laughs> oh yeah I definitely I had an EverQuest phase and then you know I told myself that it was better if I just played console games and PC games and so you know then it was like oh I'm fine I'll just move over to the Elder Scrolls yeah no it's the same thing yeah. the same thing just 
you know, now I'm I'm not necessarily yeah farming gold and hoping somebody will buy my my fancy epaulets or whatever that I've leveled up. But otherwise, my, uh, yeah, my bread and butter was uh, RuneScape and um, oh. and MapleStory. Ah, yeah, yep. We finally got it out of him, Krim. We shared enough of our. <laughs> Uh, incriminating details to get it out of Scott. <laughs> I, I think we, I think we may, may still look like the losers here on the on the oh, rewatch, sure. but but at least he's he's lowering himself a little bit closer to our. I've levels. got a bunch of old gaming consoles in the background. You can see like a, a NES right there. Oh, oh yeah, yes, and a yeah. GameCube above it. NES GameCube. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, dude, that mini disc that came out with the GameCube that was like you know. That was the height of technology, man. It was like, that was incredible. No no more gigantic cartridges. The only problem was that when you had a problem with it, you couldn't like just blow on it and put it back into the console and make it. You still did anyways, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it made you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> just now it's so memory. hard just to get like a GameCube controller so you can actually play like Super Smash Bros. the real way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so um, <laughs> we, we, we've we've gone down a rabbit hole here, and it's all my fault. But uh, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about um, let's talk about Hive because uh, Scott had mentioned, and and we've talked about it a little bit before, Krim. But so Scott mentioned uh, before, there's like you know a huge portion of the blockchain ecosphere that is um, not decentralized, right? It mm. is the these centralized platforms and you wouldn't necessarily know it unless you kind of like dug or you look under the hood, right? Um, what makes Hive different as comp as compared to some of those other platforms where people might think that they're getting decentralization or censorship resistance? Yeah, I, I think the big thing, and you, you touched on it, is you often have to go digging. And part of that is because we're just not... Um, we're not doing a great job just yet of really explaining why sort of this web 3.0 decentralization matters to people. Um, because to a normie, you know, there are a lot of things that come with centralized services that are a benefit to you. Like you want to be able to recover your assets or you want to have some help if something goes wrong. So, I mean, the way that I like to think of it is um, you kind of get the best of both worlds in these cases, because if you have a blockchain that is powering dApps, services, games, you have that underlying ledger that gives you sort of the control to take your information, your tokens, your wallet with you. And you have the ultimate say because you're your key holder. But services can be built on top of that and they can kind of uh, combine that base level um, sort of capabilities with some things that are make sense to have, you know, centralization, you know, other services that maybe are only part of the Splinterlands game and don't really matter, don't need to be attached to your wallet. And in yeah. that way, you've kind of still got, you know, all the tokens that you earn from playing, they're yours. They can't be taken away. You know, if Splinterlands, their server goes down, you can still go to a DEX and trade those tokens. So that's a huge bonus because the monetary aspects and, and the aspects that you need to kind of continue on in the absence of that centralized service still exist. But then you've also got all of this information stored that a centralized service can use in really cool and unique ways. And it doesn't matter if you know another site can replicate that or not. You don't need 25 Splinterlands front ends. You just don't, it's not a big deal. Um, and they can present you with these centralized services. So the way that I kind of look at it is, you know, Hive gives a developer and a user the capability to take those 
tools from the centralized tool set that make a user experience really great. And you can use them. You can build with them. It's yep. not inherently bad to have some parts of your experience centralized. But in the places where you know time and money and effort and trust matters, you've got that core blockchain where you don't have to explain to someone, well, you know, tough titties if we go under. It's all locked there in the chain. And that combination really matters in a lot of ways because not everything needs to be in a blockchain. And that's, I think, going to be sort of the next big thing that we have to tackle is we're in this phase where everybody's making a token, everybody's doing an airdrop, everybody's, you know, got a project with a decentralized finance attached to it. Um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a decentralized or, you know, blockchain product. Um, and so this hype and this bull market is going to catch a lot of people because they're like, every token is is fantastic. Look at this. This is a game changer. This has got blockchain now. Oh, my goodness. Not everything needs to be there. And there are going to be some people who know just enough to get themselves in trouble, but not enough to kind of be critical when they're looking at entering a project or a service or a site. Um, and, and that's a hard thing to do because we're telling everyone decentralization is great. And yep. blockchain is great. But then they're going to be like, you just said it was great. And now this one is bad. I don't get it. Yeah. So it's going to be um, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to kind of help people understand what are the main benefits of blockchain and crypto that I'm looking for that I want to use. And what are the ones that just sound really flashy that I probably shouldn't care about that are kind of there to attract me and, you know, pull wallet, uh, pull bucks out of my wallet. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, back to Matthew McConaughey. We take the client's money out of their pocket <laughs> and put it in ours. Um, yeah, you you definitely have to like keep your head on a swivel, so to speak, mm -hmm. in terms of like all those like bright shiny objects that kind of like you know uh, flash in front of you. Uh, one thing that we've covered in the past, Krim, that um, I, I would love to ask Scott about is the backstory of how Hive came to be is something that really kind of sold the platform for me because of that idea that when faced with um, essentially what amounts to a, a, a takeover or a, or a centralization event of this purportedly decentralized platform, um, there were a bunch of people that were just like, you know, deuces, I'm out, right? Like, uh, we'll go do our own thing. Um, and then they hard forked. So um, was that something that you were privy to, Scott? Like, did that actually come into your thought process in terms of getting onto the platform? Or was it something after that that just kind of attracted you? Yeah, I mean, I'd been on uh, Steam for quite a while. And um, I covered the uh, takeover as it was happening. And um, yeah, like, so I was very gung-ho about Hive being created. And yeah, I thought it was a great solution. Um, and it's just another reason why you don't keep crypto on exchanges um, mm. because they'll just take it and use it for governance. The, the kind of thing that if there was anything similar to happen in like the stock market, the SEC oh, yeah. would be all over that. Right. So yeah. uh, that is one aspect of not having regulation being a bad thing. But uh, luckily, we have a great community uh, and and decentralization and Hive was born. Awesome. Yeah. So so. Uh, you mentioned uh, taking your money off of the exchange, or at least not keeping the, the bulk of it there, unless there's maybe a purpose for it. But typically, unless you're staking it or you're locking it in in some way, there's not really uh, a, a big need to have it there. 
do you, you like so uh, people throw ra- around the term like cold storage wallet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you use? And how would you get someone to like actually? I, I mean, there's a couple of them that you can buy off of Amazon. Are those kind of like reliable ones, or are there other ones that you normally kind of direct people to um, that that maybe do the job better or a little bit maybe easier in terms of the learning curve? Is that one to me? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I have the the Ledger Nano X and the S. Um, I've also checked out a couple of other wallets, but um, I, I will admit the Ledger is kind of like more expensive than some other wallets out there. Mm. Um, but it, it really just depends whatever you want to use. Most hardware wallets offer you the same the same thing essentially, where it's just that you're able to store your crypto offline. Um, essentially what I was talking about way back at the beginning so that there's no entity that can take it away from you, whether it's the government or the banks or whatever it happens to be, uh, that's the safest possible way that you could do it. Um, because you could just have your crypto on a wallet that you control, but it's that much safer when it's on a, a hardware wallet because then it's not connected to the internet and, um, and you've got the keys and it's stored much safer. And uh, are you using, um, uh, I forget what uh, basically the exact terminology is, but essentially the, the uh, unconnected version of Wasabi to administer the cold, cold storage, or do you have another provider that you use on the back end? Um, I'm just using Ledger's, uh, Ledger, uh, the, the Ledger Nano X and, oh, the, the, native and the software, software that comes with it. Yeah, I'm just using the native software. So I don't yep. go that extra step. But um, but I mean, it, it's good for what it is. And then you can just trade on uh, decentralized exchanges and and uh, and do all your stuff uh, in a more decentralized way. Awesome. Awesome. I, are you a fan of cold storage there, Krim? Oh, yeah. <laughs> To me, that's kind of the most exciting and terrifying part of the journey. And I totally get why it is. um, It's so intimidating because, you know, we laugh at those old timers who have, you know, all their money stuffed under their mattress. Because, I mean, when you think about it, yeah, in, in some ways it's not in the bank. And if the bank gets robbed, it's not gone. But it's also like if you are smoking in bed and light your house on fire, it's gone too. So, you know, it, it's that same idea of uh, personal responsibility and personal custodianship. But there's there's something a little bit different when you take that step towards there's really not much tangible when you have a cold storage device or you have a hardware wallet. Yeah, there's you have the tangible wallet, but you're not seeing a stack of cash. You're not seeing a pile of gold bars, like you say. Um, and it becomes quite terrifying to sort of launch these numbers into space and just hope you you have everything set up right. And, and knowing you hear these horror stories that like you copied your seed phrase with one letter wrong and now you can't get your crypto. So, I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan. I think it's so, so important. Um, but I recognize that it's a journey. And when I started with crypto, I kept my crypto on exchanges. I never really thought about it. Um, and that was because I was buying through exchanges. So I just thought, well, I'll buy it and they'll just hold it for me and it'll be fine. And, you know, a year into my journey, it was like, oh, bad. This is bad. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's great for me because as a Canadian, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, we had a fairly large exchange that was growing here called Quadriga. Mm. And 
the last time around, our last sort of bull run, uh, a lot of Canadians were starting to explore Bitcoin and ETH on Quadriga. And uh, whatever ends up happening with it, uh, the founder, it turns out he was using some very convoluted cold storage hot wallet system. Only he knew. He went off to India with his new bride and died in a tragic set of circumstances that include shitting himself to death. I'm not even joking. And <laughs> they exhumed his body. It's still all up in the air. It's wild. And, you know, it, it is mm -hmm. funny. But at the time, you know, ETH was worth like 100 bucks a token. We were just yeah. coming out of the, you know, the bull market. We were in crypto winter. And so people were all like, oh, well, OK. And they write off the losses and they don't kind of realize how important it was. And now here we are again. You know, people who maybe lost a couple dozen tokens are now probably just crying themselves to sleep. Uh, some education is very expensive and crypto is definitely uh, no <laughs> is no exception to that sort of adage. But um, I would actually agree with Scott. Ledger is a really good place to start. Um, mm. It's tough, though, because we always want to say, like, the big Google machine is is getting bigger. Um, and, you know, they have had some issues like um, they did end up having a hack where all of the people who had legitimately purchased directly from their site, the ledgers, um, their personal information was yeah. hacked. And so what that meant is it couldn't they couldn't get onto your ledger, but they could start targeting you. And, you know, there were a lot of things going out like emails that were phishing emails about, oh, well, just sign in here and we'll update your ledger for you. Or there were actual physical mailers that went to people's houses. And so that's a pretty scary thing. Um, there are some other options out there. Uh, I personally do use for my Bitcoin, I do use a cold card. I really like that. Um, and I've heard a lot of great stuff about Trezor as well, which is another type of hardware wallet. But there are so many options now. The best advice that I can give you is you mentioned earlier buying from Amazon. If it's coming directly from the manufacturer's store, yes, but you just you always want to be so careful that a hardware wallet is absolutely coming straight from the producer because if it's preloaded with some bad, you know, bad software on it, yep. and you maybe get it from, you know, I don't know, Craigslist or something, and it looks sealed, it's probably okay. Please don't use it. Please don't buy a please don't buy a hardware wallet uh secondhand. If if there's one thing you take away from today's episode is if you're gonna do it, do it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I the the um, again, you know, talking to someone who might be starting at zero miles an hour and kind of working mm -hmm. up, that's obviously not something that you need to do immediately. Yeah. Um, and I would say if you are just getting started, do not put your life savings um, <laughs> into crypto or on an exchange or anything like that. Um, yeah. There are some expensive lessons that get taught, uh, you know, on on. The, just within the the ecosphere, and uh, that's one of those things where, yeah, to to something you said earlier, Scott, you have to be extremely cognizant about you know you can't have one of those like I am blonde, so I can say this. You can't have one of those dumb blonde moments where it's like hee hee hee, like you know I forgot about it. Um, you know I I have I, one of my one of my friends here in Jersey. Uh, had uh, speak speak of like you know back to the era of Silk Road had one of the first uh, bitcoins that was actually um, available uh, on you know on a, a standalone wallet and um, lost the encryption lost the the, the encryption code for it and so um, 
And on top of that, at some point in time, I believe his room got cleared out, whether he went to college or whatever, um, and then it got tossed. So it's sitting in a landfill with a, a Bitcoin on it. Um, and so, yeah, that's, again, uh, it wasn't an expensive lesson at the time because I think Bitcoin was only maybe, you know, like 10, 15 cents at the time that it was on there. But now, I mean, you know, uh, we, we might have to go dumpster diving or, or landfill <laughs> diving. I don't know. Uh, you just sent to... a lot of people to go to the landfill. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we, we might have to geolocate it somehow, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm, that... I'm going to say that it might take more than one Bitcoin to get me to jump into like a, a landfill in Jersey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, just point a stick. Um, that's Jersey. <laughs> Sorry. I'm... So that's a cheap. That's a cheap Canadian low blow because yeah. we're a disaster. We're a disaster up here too. So. <laughs> I, I the the the, uh, the the aspects of living in this state, as well as a number of other places in this world, have uh, been completely. Uh, uh, or the positives have been obliterated within the last like 24 months or, or 18 months. So I do not blame you for taking a shot. It's it's not a low blow. It's it's well deserved. Um, we do have cows and farmland and stuff like that. But you know what? Um, if you're downwind, you're downwind, and it's just you know it is what it is. But um, all right. So let me talk about. Uh, let, let's talk about. So I, have you guys paid very much attention to say like the the. Uh, infrastructure bill and everything that's going on with that in terms of the back and forth on the regulation has that been on your guys radar i have been following it and i sort of know where it started but admittedly i actually still find some of the uh the democratic process in the u.s a little convoluted like sometimes i can't tell you know they enter the chamber they're arguing now they're not arguing now you can't have an amendment now you can't have an amendment they're still arguing it's been going on for 62 hours I've not always got a good handle on where we are in the process. So I, I believe I saw this morning that uh, there weren't going to be any more amendments and it hadn't passed and everything was sort of at a stalemate. I don't know if that's yeah. still the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it sticks that way and it doesn't necessarily um, gain too much traction because um, to, to your point about U.S. politics, they kind of like just slip these things into these gigantic omnibus bills that are like wide reaching, right? Um, and um, the 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 aspect of it is uh, something that is like so the the worst part about it or the worst amendment that could have gone into it was something that treated proof of stake and then um, proof of work differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that again we're we're kind of now past 101, maybe we're in crypto 102. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll let you, Krim, talk about it because we've we've talked a little bit about it in the past. But mm-hmm. what what's the difference between those two terms, and why would it not be a good thing if they say, uh, you know, regulated? Say they they were going to regulate proof of work more than say proof of stake. Yeah, and, and you know. There again is a wealth of fantastic knowledge, but if we were to just really oversimplify it down to a 101 level, proof of work is essentially a computer sitting there all day solving math problems. And the math problems are getting harder and harder and harder. So it becomes a race to solve the next problem the fastest, but each time it gets harder. So you have to have, your computer needs to be a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. Now imagine, a bunch of computers all doing it this at once competing. 
That's essentially what proof of work is. Um, And so that is a really solid sort of way of distributing a token. When we think of Bitcoin, it is the classic. It's it's, um, sort of where all crypto and all sort of distribution models came from is everybody comes on a level playing field. You bring the hardware, you run the software, you compete. And you if you can prove that you have solved this uh, math problem, then you will get a reward. And that's awesome. That's that's a very straightforward way of doing things. However, over the course of Bitcoin's lifetime and continued lifetime, the math problems are getting pretty darn hard. And so what that means is mining now is quite challenging and it does require some pretty hefty hardware. So on the flip side, you have something called proof of stake. And there are a couple different types of proof of stake models, but essentially, rather than competing to solve math problems, um, you are basically being uh, entrusted to solve them. And what that means is somebody who is a token holder or a stakeholder in the system or, you know, has a number of these tokens, stakes them. And the more that they have, the more able they are to basically mine blocks. And so... There are two kind of philosophies at work here. And one is, you know, everybody comes into the ecosystem and has a shot at solving a math problem. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes into an ecosystem and has a shot at putting money and time and effort into a token and becoming a strong stakeholder. And you should be rewarded for becoming a strong stakeholder. So both systems have pros and cons for sure because one thing about proof of stake you know that a lot of people are latching on to right now is it doesn't necessarily require super strong computers you know we're not having this sort of same hardware race for you know insane specs and so a lot of people are kind of in this time of you know change in our in our world and and everybody's starting to really kind of think about climate change or you know environmental aspects proof of work might scare some people off Whereas the flip side is for, you know, a lot of people, they go, well, proof of stake, if somebody comes in and has a lot of money, they can jump to the front of the queue and I don't like that. So proof of work makes more sense to them. And so that's fine. Both of these approaches um, have benefits and you can, you can engage with the ecosystem and the blockchain that makes sense to you. That's the beautiful thing. It's very voluntary, which we always talk about when we get together. Um, But regulating them differently is incredibly problematic. And this is something that we see a lot of already. Tribalism exists, and it certainly exists in the crypto space. Um, And right now, the crypto space itself, well, it feels big to those of us who are in it, and it feels explosive and new to people just discovering it. It is this tiny little drop in the bucket when compared to even just the US, you know, fiat currency. If you look at all of the currency in existence just in the US and then the you know total market cap for crypto, it's kind of shocking. There's so little compared to you know fiat systems in the world that crypto actually kind of represents. There's very little crypto comparatively. Um, and so it's very difficult to sort of um, have this type of regulation where everybody's squabbling about, well, this one is better, that one's worse, when there's just not enough of any type of chain yet to solidly, solidly make a difference in the world's finances. So in my mind, there's a number of reasons why I obviously wouldn't want to see proof of work targeted over proof of stake or proof of stake targeted over proof of work. 
part of the reason that we have created cryptocurrency and blockchain is to test out these different ideas, to create thriving ecosystems, to develop consistently better technology that allows us to transact value. It's why these things exist. There's why there's, you know, two different, arguably these are the front runners, ETH and Bitcoin. There's a reason that they've both kind of taken off and really done well. So to have one favored over the other or, you know, one shit on more than the other in, you know, the Senate or, or you know, in government regulation, um, it's going to cause a schism inside the community at a time where we're supposed to be kind of going out and advocating. Yep. Like, I think this has really scared sort of some people from either side. And they're so focused on their own chain or, you know, being like, well, look at that other chain, go after them, that we're not, uh, we're not kind of recognizing the overall paradigm shift here, which is they're arguing about crypto in the government right now. It's mm -hmm. that important that it is being, you know, the entire country has is at a standstill talking about crypto right now. Yep. Everybody, proof of stake, proof of work, proof of I don't know what the fuck, should all be kind of getting together and recognizing that this is a time where the entire world is actually watching what people are saying and doing and thinking about in the crypto space. Mm. That's wild. Now is the time. Yeah. Yeah. I. What are your thoughts on it, Scott? And Mo, I, I don't want to push you to like you know take a political position one way or the other, but um, you know, I mean, ha have you paid attention to it? I mean, is it something where you've heard people that are uh, worried? I mean, I've seen the shock headlines, but again. You know, most people know me. I'm I, when I see a shock headline, I'm like, all right, I need to dig a little bit more because someone's trying to get some clicks. Um, I've seen the shock headlines about you know death of crypto or like death of Bitcoin or whatever. Um, has that been the sentiment, or is it just more of a okay? Well, we'll just figure out what it's going to look like and then we'll adapt from there. Yeah, I mean, I haven't uh, followed it a lot, like the political side of things lately. I've just been super focused on the uh, ETH upgrade. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there's, there's also a lot of conversation around energy use between the two consensus models, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have been shitting on Bitcoin uh, for its energy use. But again, I would kind of compare it back to the fiat system. And I'd say, well, I mean, banks are using like, According to, um, I think it was CoinShares, or it was a study in 2019, uh, and they said that banks were using something like 650 times the amount of energy of Bitcoin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the banks only open a certain amount of uh, hours a day. They're closed on holidays, all this kind of stuff. Same with the stock market. Um, and then you look at other, you, you know, you know, obviously uh, proof of stake models are, are better for energy. But uh, again, it just comes back down to what is the benefit versus the cost, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the cost of, of whatever energy we're using for Bitcoin is minuscule compared to the benefits that we get. And uh, especially with you know Elon criticizing it, I think it was <laughs> that uh, SpaceX uses more uh, energy consumption in one uh, shuttle launch all year uh, for, Bitcoin's use, for Bitcoin's usage all year. Um, and and it's 100% non-renewable too, which is yep. the big part. Yep. Um, so it's it's just ironic to me that someone like that would be criticizing or, you know, pointing that stuff out. And it's like, and you know, if we're going to talk about energy use, 
Um, all the people driving Teslas in China, for example, are still not using renewable energy either. So uh, I, I, I really don't like the renewable energy argument going on right now. Um, yeah, I want to I'm going to dive into that very soon and uh, and do a full deep dive on uh, on Bitcoin energy use. So well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak, Krim, but I'll ask mm. you the question. Didn't uh, was it Dan from three speak or someone else? put out uh, a post uh, back when they started talking about this energy consumption thing about the miners that are associated with Hive, right? Uh, yeah. And so that's Hive is also a form of proof of stake. And so when you think about sort of some of these alternative systems that have come about because, you know, for one reason or another, the consensus model is, you know, um, looking to disrupt the way we've done it before. You know, we've got a very defined proof of work chain. We've got a very defined proof of stake chain. Everybody's trying different things. Hive is something called delegated proof of stake. And you can go to another video if you want to learn about that. But what it basically means is we've got a whole ecosystem of people who are node running using what are essentially like your standard gaming PC. And what that means is if you're one of those people who leaves their PC on all the time, um, and you know, it's idling and your screen is turned off, but it's still on in the background that you're supporting the network. And, and, you know, people that want to say this stuff about Bitcoin, this is sort of, I wanted to kind of tack on because Scott's exactly right. This argument, I try to always acknowledge it because I can never be mad that people are caring about our planet or like want to not live in a trash heap or, you know, don't want us to be actually in Mad Max two years from now. Like yep. all of that is so valid. I appreciate you thinking about it. And I actually quite like that crypto is sort of a conversation starter in that way. But the problem is, is yeah, we really like catchy statistics. We like gotcha headlines, like you say. And so it's like, Crypto is like 37 idling buses for 67 years. And it's like, okay, no, hold on. Ah. Because instead <laughs> of digging deep into that, somebody's like, oh, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to tell some I'm, next time I get in um, 37 buses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well. Two Chardonnays you know. in at the cocktail party. That's what they lay <laughs> on you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, but they're custom-made will... RV buses with solar panels. <laughs> yeah. And... Yeah. <laughs> but what I like to kind of challenge people with when we get into this discussion, because I am also very, you know, sort of art and creative focused and NFTs, this was another thing, is people, normies trying to wrap their head around NFTs. They're like, you know, if, if a jumbo jet was flying around the world at mock speed 72 times, it actually poops out a Pokemon card. Like, no, that's not an NFT. But, you know, I understand we're always looking for something tangible or we're looking for something that we can kind of quantify to help us understand new concepts. So again, that's fair. And the way that I like to talk to people about energy use in the crypto space is like, I don't want to get into whataboutism. I don't want to say you're giving me a concern that you have well, forget that. Look over there. They're worse. That That's never a good way to solve a problem. So great. Good on you for approaching this topic. But one of the cool things that's coming out of this is if we're using a lot of energy that's actually very expensive and people who are focused on trying to mine and make money in the crypto space, you don't want your expenditures to be super high because your profits go down. And so I know there's sort of this this state of right now where everybody's, you know, hating on all types of free market and capitalism. And, you know, yeah, there's a whole set of problems that we have to tackle with that. Sure. But one thing that comes out of this is, especially even for Bitcoin mining, people are looking for 
clean, renewable, cheap sources of energy to capture, to mine. And so one of the things that, um, you know, briefly had a heyday there was, you know, here's El Salvador going, we got volcanoes, we're going to use volcanoes. And that is steam power. That's, you know, literally vents in the ground that are just pooping out steam, and you're just going to pop basically a generator over top of it, and it's going to start mining. And that's geothermal energy is crazy, crazy clean. So all of a sudden, these problems of how do we mine less expensively, the incentives there align with people who are, how do we find energy that is safer for our planet? Those two things actually go completely hand in hand. And that's really cool. Um, And that's what we're really starting to see is uh, Bitcoin, especially in that ecosystem, mining centers and miners are looking for the cheapest, most efficient ways of actually capturing waste energy. We don't like to think about that. And we don't talk about it a lot in the climate sort of conversation is that we produce a lot of energy and we waste a ton of it. It just gets burned off. It gets blown off. It gets dumped into the grid. And, you know, at a time where a lot of places in Canada, the U.S., around the world have problems with regulating and distributing power, it's kind of crazy to think, well, we've just got this this vent out back. We're just going to light it up and just burn off some gas. Don't worry about it. And here comes a Bitcoin miner and goes, dude, no problem. I'm going to use that energy to power my miner whenever you got to do it. They pay, you know, to use that waste energy. And all of a sudden you've got crypto that is now taking wasted energy and producing value with it. And mm-hmm. also, you know, diverting some of these energy problems that we've had in the past in a productive and also in some ways cleaner and safer way. So it is, it's it's one of those conversations that uh, if you can get into with someone and you start talking out sort of the nuance of it, usually they'll be like, oh, that's not quite as bad as I thought. Yeah. Um, so you don't necessarily have to hit them with the, you're wrong and everything you think is wrong, but sometimes, man, you want to say it. You do. I, it's, I do. It's, t- <laughs> it's, it's tough to not, it's tough to not yell, but like w- mm. once you do kind of like choke it back, um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They might not necessarily understand the mentality of people that are bought into decentralization and blockchain, right? Like the idea is you don't want to be reliant on a highly regulated centralized distribution system or supply chain for anything, right? Yep. And that includes the energy that's running your mining operation. Um, so yeah, it goes right hand in hand. I mean, like the the you know you're, you're a happy person if you can throw up two solar cells on a standalone like mini grid and run your mining setup. Like that is yep. that is the optimal setup for someone. So um, yeah, it definitely goes hand in hand with that. So um, look, we're running on two hours for you, Scott, and one hour for you, Krim. Um, it's an open invite. You guys can stick around as long as you want. I have Pavel sitting in the green room, so it's up to you guys if you want to uh, kick off or hang out. What do you got working, Scott? Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna jump off and uh, make dinner, but uh, this was great. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. It was awesome to meet both of you. And um, yeah, let's do this again sometime. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Cheers. Have a good one.